yes, for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, don't let the posts fool you. I am, you know, back from across the ditch. Um, just, that'll be the end of that accent for the sermon. That's, that's all I'm going to throw in. So. Uh, yeah, that was a, an excellent Bible reading. Uh, just such a, a strong end to it as well. It just the the passage starts off so uh, negative and and sad, and it ends with that that glorious promise from God. Uh, and that's that's what I really want to uh, focus on today is is the the, the promises of God. So that's uh, an interesting question: is Have you ever broken a promise to someone? That's Probably a harder one to remember. I'll give you an easier question, which is, has anyone ever broken a promise to you? That, that's probably an easier one to, to recall uh, or bring to mind. It can be a, a terrible thing to go through, to have someone break promises to you. You know, uh, plans go wrong, expectations are shattered, dreams ruined, even friendships destroyed, all on the basis of broken promises. And I think that the greater the promise, the greater the ability to hurt us when those promises are broken. And so I want to give an extreme example of a, a, of a broken promise, uh, which is this yeah, wonderful thing here. In 2017, uh, an entrepreneur named Billy McFarlane promised the world to young, wealthy internet influencers. He, he sold tickets to a festival on a, on a private island called, called Fire Festival. This was in the Bahamas. Uh, with tickets ranging from $1,000 all the way up to the, the full package for the low, low price of $130,000. And it promised a week of living like a movie star. Uh, you, you'd start by taking your own private jet all the way to the white sandy beaches of Pablo Escobar's island, partying with models on luxury yachts before going back to the island, the music festival, your own private beachfront villas, world-class chefs, partying with celebrities, you know, not everyone's cup of tea, but the internet and the, these um, influences, you know, lapped it up. This is going to be the experience of a lifetime. You know, they'd, they'd get to uh, have a, a brief taste of, of what they would thought was the good life. That, that's right. There are all the yacht packages you could choose, starting from $75,000 each. You know. Not getting any takers here. No one here was, you know, had a ticket or anything. No. But here was the problem. It was nothing but empty promises. See, B Billy McFarland has, has since been sentenced to six years in jail for fraud and various other dodgy financial indiscretions, and and mainly because he couldn't come through with his promises. He made big claims of what he had on offer, but it was either empty promises or a scam. And this is what they got. Instead of private jets, uh, they were crowded into commercial airlines. Um, everyone's luggage was dumped in a massive shipping container at the festival site where they all had to clamber through it and find their own bags. A tropical cyclone dumped inches of rain on the site the, the week before. And the accommodation wasn't ready yet. All the mattresses were out uh, on the ground, soaked in rain. There wasn't private luxury villas. There was emergency relief tents. Uh, but there was less tents than there were people, so not everyone had a place to stay. There was not enough food or water and no planes leaving the island for a couple of days. So they were stuck there with not enough food or water, groups formed, hoarding resources, and it became, within hours, internet celebrities that turned into Lord of the Flies as they fought over what little resources they had. So 
we'd call this uh, not only a disaster, but probably not quite meeting the expectations of what they were promised. You know, maybe we haven't been promised something quite like that, and this probably isn't our cup of tea. I'll give a smaller example. Um, there we go. This, this is a, an expectation, something that, that I was promised on Google Images. I, I went to, to see this spot here in a place called Cape Egmont. Google Images promised me that I would be able to try and replicate this photo, and then I went to this spot, and that's what I got. So <laughs> That wasn't meant to be funny. It's disappointing. No, no. no it, it, it is, but, it, but it's disappointing when we get our hopes up, when we, we go somewhere and we think, this is how I envisage it to be, this is how I want my day to go, this is what I expect this place to be like, and then reality hits us in the face and we go, reality and expectations, something doesn't line up here, this isn't what I put my hope in, this isn't what I was expecting. And so I mean, we've, we've all experienced broken promises of, of places, uh, events, restaurants, things like that, um, products that failed to deliver. Uh, you know, they, they didn't live up to what was advertised. But I think as far as promises that hurt you, it's when it comes from people that it's so much worse. It's, it's not products that fail to deliver, it's people that promise to be there for you and then they're not. They, they promise to do something for you and they never come through. Or maybe they, they promise to love you in marriage but then fail to live up to their vows. You know, for, for me, a, a memorable broken promise was a, a friend in, in Adelaide uh, who would organise to meet up while I was working in the city centre. You'd organise a time, you'd reschedule your lunch break, you'd uh, swap rosters around at work, and then they'd never show up. And there'd, there'd be a range of excuses, oh, they were really busy, they got caught in traffic, they forgot, whatever it was, but don't worry, I promise I'll, I'll we'll work it out next week. And then it happens again the next week, and the next, and the next, and they say, I promise I'll make it next time. And, and eventually, the relationship is, is severed because trust is gone, and when they say, oh, let's meet up next time, I promise I'll make it, you go, well, I, I can't do it. If, I, if, the, if the trust is gone, the, the relationship just doesn't work. And so here in, in this passage, in Haggai chapter 2, it looks like God may have failed in His promises. Israel's relationship with God and their trust in Him hangs in the balance as to whether He'll come good on what He said He's going to do. And, and in our own lives, much of our hope rests, both in this life and the next, it rests on, is God trustworthy? Is He faithful to come through on His promises? And so it's important that we get an answer to this question. So let's uh, quickly take a step back to, to last week, and, and, or not, not just last week, but maybe the, the broader biblical context is where we're in the book of Haggai, and this is probably, uh, as John mentioned last week, this isn't one that uh, most of us have, have heard sermon series through, so um, it's good to, to step back and see where are we in, in the history in the Old Testament. Because it relies on knowledge of what God promised to this specific people. And it actually relies on knowledge further back in the Old Testament when God made promises to Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. God gave promises and warnings with regards to their covenant that God would bless them for their faithfulness and that, that involved blessing the land and, and God's presence with them and a sacrificial system and, and even prosperity in the land. 
But then there were also warnings that if they were unfaithful, if they went after other gods, if they, they pursued idolatry, not only would things not go well for them in the land, but that other nations would come and invade them and take them away and they would be scattered to neighbouring nations. Uh, all of this is found in, in Deuteronomy 29. At, at the end of Deuteronomy 29, it, it serves as a warning, but when you look back at it, it basically just reads as a prophecy. You can see it's exactly what happened to them. It says, you know, therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bring, uh, bring it all the curses in this, in this book, and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are to this day. That's it's exactly what happened in the exile when they were taken away to another land. But then the very next passage, in, in, or the next chapter in Deuteronomy 30, he gives hope. And so at the start of Deuteronomy 30, he says, and when all these things come upon you, notice he doesn't say if they come upon you, it's basically a when you inevitably commit idolatry, when this happens and you get taken away into exile, when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord will restore, Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So this is important to know that background because this is where we find ourselves right now in Haggai. They've gone off to exile. They've just, just come, well, not actually just come back. The, it's kind of indicated from, from last week that this isn't, you know, the day after they arrive, Haggai comes and says, all right, it's time to get, get building that temple. Uh, they've obviously been there for a little while because they, uh, they had sown their crops and then they had repped those years' crops. Uh, they had started rebuilding their city, they had re rebuilt their homes, they had done all sorts of stuff except for the important thing of rebuilding God's temple so that they might worship Him. And then so last week we, we saw God's response to that through the prophet Haggai, in which he sends Haggai to Zerubbabel and Joshua, so this is the, the governor and the high priest and, and all the people, and he encourages, the, encourages them, he points them towards the promises of God, he basically rebukes them for not rebuilding the temple, for focusing on other things. And their response is they listen. They, they fear the Lord who stirs them up to go and rebuild the temple. And so it's a glorious end of the story, case closed, happy ending, right? But not, not really, because now, now we'll dive into chapter 2 and, and things didn't quite go like they thought it would. So let's look at Haggai chapter 2. Uh, from the start, in verse 1, it says... In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of the Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, uh, and to all, uh, all the remnant of the people. Uh, so we know from the date that this is actually a month later. So they've already spent a fair while rebuilding the temple. They're put in the hard yards. They're going to see God's promises fulfilled right before their very eyes. They've returned from exile. God's promises, promise to restore them, to return them, for everything to go back to normal. They were going to experience the blessings of God. The drought would end. They would experience forgiveness of sins. They would be able to step into the presence of God. They would hear the, the preaching of the Levitical priests. Everything would go back to the way it was. And in fact, we already know that they've resumed... Um, 
the sacrifices already because this passage lines up with Ezra 3 and it says they had already by this stage already built an altar and resumed sacrifices. So, so you know that that month they would have already been uh, partaking in the, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, all these uh, great mighty things, events that were a part of their Jewish identity. And, and instead of being a, a sign that, hey, things are getting back to normal, things are back to the glorious way they were, uh, instead, I think it probably would have just highlighted how uh, rubbish things were compared to how they used to be. Because that's where Haggai comes in and says in verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Like, like you, you can feel the, the, the weighty disappointment of of what their expectations were when we finally get our act together, we rebuild it all and then it's there in front of their eyes and reality uh, ruins or, or just doesn't line up with what their expectations were. They were expecting something similar. To, you know, it was actually the same, same time, the Feast of Tabernacles, that was the time when Solomon was dedicating the temple and it was this great, glorious, God-ordained moment in history in which they, they see God's faithfulness revealed to them in a really physical way. They were expecting the construction of, you know, Solomon's Temple 2.0, this is it, and instead they see rubble scattered around an altar and a, a, a measly attempt at building a structure with their minimal resources in a drought-stricken land. But this is, this is probably something that... that uh, we experience God's promises or the way in which we examine God's promises. You know, we, we know what God has said, we know what His promises are, but then we look around us at our lives and we see something very different and it doesn't really add up. God's promises or our expectations don't seem to line up with what we see in our own lives. And rather than trust God's promises or wonder if God is still working in the midst of that, we question it. We, we trust in our circumstances and assume that they're unchanging. We trust in that more than the promises of God. Now, I'll get to what some of those disappointments are or what some of those promises are, but we'll, we'll just keep going through the passage step by step and then we'll, we'll take a step back and see how we can apply it. Uh, so verse 4 says, Yet now... Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And, and once again, though, here, the, it uses this same pattern. The, the message of Haggai is not just to the leaders, but also to the whole people. And, and he comes with three commands to the people. Uh, two are related to how we think, our, our attitude, and then one of them is what we actually do. Uh, so continuing on, the second half of verse 4. Uh, Be strong, all you people. See, so it's to everyone. Be strong, all you people, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So as far as attitude, he gives both a positive and a negative command. The, the one to, to be strong, be, be courageous. And then he's basically saying the same thing in the negative, saying do not fear. And, and, and in between that, between these two commands is a simple one-word command, work. That's all he says, get, get to work. Which we probably feel uneasy about that as, as Christians that know the gospel. If, if, my, if my 
application, my take-home message and my command from this passage is work. Go and, go and get to work. Because we know the grace of God and we're, and we're rightfully focused on the grace of God. We know that we are saved by trusting in Jesus and not trusting in our works. But we see here that God still calls His people to work. He still gives that command. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know where the other gospel communities are, are up to as far as going through Philippians, but, but um, for the Brentwood crew, we, we know that we, we went through Philippians 2.12, uh, which says, uh, this was last term, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, and, and we had a re really good discussion of figuring that out, of how do we wrestle with that, uh, that command in Scripture to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and, and harmonise that with also the, the Christian call that we are to trust in Jesus and not in our own good works. And, and the thing that really um, helps us understand that balance is, is actually in the very next verse in, in Philippians when, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He then says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this command to work isn't something that we, we boast in. It's not something that we take credit for. It isn't something that gives us a right standing with God. And, and this, is, this is really important to understand for this passage in Haggai. He's not saying, get to work and then I'll fulfill my promises. If, if you do enough work, if you put in enough effort, then I'll fulfill my promises. He's not waiting for our permission for him to get to work. He's not waiting for us to be good enough. He's, he's simply informing us that he will fulfill his promises. So now in light of that, get to work, build the temple. He's, he's calling us to participate in what he's already promised that he will do. Look at, look at what he says in, in verse 4 and 5. He says, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. So even in this passage, he immediately follows the command to work with the reminder that he's the one who's, who is with them. He's the one who's at work. He's the one who made the covenant with them. He made the promises, and so he's going to fulfill them. And it doesn't say, rebuild the temple in order that I'll be with you, in order that my spirit will be in your midst. No, it's the other way around. You know, my, I, I am with you, my spirit is in your midst, so now get to work and build the temple. But how, how often do we actually get that thinking the other way around? We're, we're not called to you know, physically build a temple, but we, we do actually think the same way. We assume that God's promises are based on our efforts. You know, even if we, we know that we're saved by grace, we understand the gospel, we're trusting in Jesus, we know that he died for our sins, but, but, but deep down we still ultimately think that it comes down a little bit to our own efforts. Maybe not with salvation, but maybe, maybe we still think that yes, God loves us and forgives us, but maybe he's just still a little bit disappointed with us because of my sin this week. You know, sure, sure, God can definitely use people like me, but maybe I need to get my act together a little bit first. Maybe there's a few things in my life I need to sort out first, then God can use me. You know, maybe I'll, I'll trust in His promises that He can forgive sinners, and yes, God sees me as a forgiven sinner, but seeing me as a loved, adopted child of God, maybe that's a step too far. Or maybe we doubt the promise of His presence. This is what He's promising in this passage. You know, God's Word tells us that He's always with us. 
but then we look at our lives or our circumstances or we look at, at our own feelings and go, well, how, I, I, maybe I don't feel God's presence all the time, so maybe, maybe He has deserted me. You know, how could He dwell in me when I am the way that I am? And, and so we look at God's promises and we examine their credibility, not against God's character, but against our own efforts or our own circumstances. And then, like, no wonder we have our concerns if that's what we do uh, to, to weigh up whether God's promises are reliable, looking to ourselves or looking to our circumstances rather than the Word of God. And again, the, the following verses, God continues this pattern of reminding them that He's the one at work to fulfill His promises. So let, let's just read the rest of this, this passage. It says, uh, from verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, and, and, and concentrate on, on who's at work here. It says, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So it's pretty clear who's at work here. Yes, God has just given the command for them to work, to get busy, to keep working at building the temple. But I think we know who is the one who is at work here. God will build His temple. God will bring His presence. God will bring the glory. God will give peace. And so in light of this uh, passage, I, I have four major points about the promises of God and, and how we uh, relate to the promises of God. Uh, and I'll, I'll read, read them through uh, one, one by one and then I'll, I'll go back through them. Uh, so the first thing is, is that we need to look to God's promises uh, so we're not hoping in the wrong things. Uh, secondly, we need to understand that God's character and timing, uh, we need to understand God's character and timing and know that He will bring to fulfillment what He has promised. Uh, thirdly, we, we need to look to the past and see God's prior fulfillment to give us confidence for the future. Uh, and, and finally, we need to see that God not only fulfills His promise, but He exceeds them. He reveals something greater than we could ever imagine. Uh, so let, let's go through them one by one and sort of looking at things within the passage that, that teaches this. So the first one, that we need to look to God's promises so we're not hoping in the wrong things. So the people of Israel were kind of, they, they rightly got disappointed by the poor state of their new temple, especially those that had seen the old temple. They just knew that it didn't match up to what they, what they knew from the past. But they were still looking at the wrong thing. They, they kind of missed the point of the temple. They, they, were, they were disappointed at the lack of outer glory. You know, but, but what does God promise in, in response? Right, does He say, you know, don't worry, it'll all look brand new soon enough. You know, even better than the original, I'll, you know, I'll send the best builders, you know, provide you with the best materials. No, like, he, he does mention gold and silver being brought in, treasures from around the world. But then he says, I will fill this house with glory. The, the, the inside, not the outer appearance. You know, look at the, the end of verse 9. And in this place, I will give peace. So the glory of the temple was never just the material building. 
you know, it, it was glorious. It was an impressive structure. You know, it was glorious. It, it um, was great in its, in its construction and in its furnishings. But the people were busy comparing the outward appearance of this new temple to the outward appearance of Solomon's temple. But it's, it's true glory. E- even before the exile, the reason, the thing that made uh, Solomon's temple so glorious was that it contained the presence of God. It, it was the place where Israel, through the sacrificial system, had access to God. They were reconciled to God. They could come into His presence. That was the glory. And, and so Haggai comes to remind them of the promises of God to set their focus on what to actually look for, not just the rubble around them. And, and, and we do the same thing. We get disappointed uh, with our lives when things don't go the way we expect. We're just like Israel, standing in front of the rubble, disappointed because, you know, sometimes even disappointed with God because things haven't gone the way we wanted or maybe even the way we think God may have promised us. You know, I I know it would be an easy thing to pick an extreme example like like the prosperity gospel where people claim that God has promised us, you know, health and wealth as, as a part of the new covenant. Uh, but, but I have seen it on a smaller scale where we as Christians, we, we sort of have a tendency to think that becoming a Christian means things, you know, things will always go well for us or, or life will be simpler or life will be easier. You know, God will always answer our prayers. But God hasn't actually promised us that. It, it's certainly true that it, it is better that, that in the midst of all of our trials, God is with us. And that, that's far better than not having trials but not having God. But we need to be careful trusting in promises that God hasn't made. You know, we don't look to promises that say everything will always go the way that we want it to go or our, our expectations will always be met. But we do look to promises that say God is with us, His presence is with us in the midst of that disappointment. And secondly, we, we need to understand God's character and timing and know that he will bring to fulfillment what he has promised so Israel was called to look beyond their discouragement look beyond their surroundings you know a disappointing half a temple standing in front of them they needed to realize that the biggest resource they needed to return the temple to its former glory wasn't better materials and better engineers They needed the presence of God and and Haggai reminds them that he is with them. God is with them. He is the planner. He's the engineer. He's the manager. He is the one who will see the promises come to fruition. And and, and that should be a massive encouragement to us that that God is building his temple here. Even though it doesn't look like it, his promises still remain true. Because I I think for me that that has been one of the, the major disappointments of the Christian life is the incredibly slow speed of my sanctification. You know, having to learn the same lessons over and over, struggling with the same sins, or, or feeling like you should be more mature than you are at this stage of life. You know, especially if we make plans or have dreams of what our life will turn out like by certain stages. You know, I, I always thought by, by this stage, you know, disciplines like reading the Word and prayer, that, that'll come easy to me. You know, when I was in my 20s, I thought, oh, when am I in my 30s? I'll, I'll have read the Bible dozens of times, hours a day of prayer, it'll, it'll come easy. Yeah, and, I, you know, I didn't know when it would happen, I didn't know how it would happen, and I didn't put measures in place to ensure that it would happen. I just assumed that, that someday it would. 
it would all fall into place and it hasn't happened at least like I thought it would. You know, it, it feels, the, the, the temple of our Christian life feels more like the, the rubble, the post-exilic rubble rather than this glorious structure that maybe we expected it to be. And I, I, I hope I'm not the only one here that's had these feelings of the slowness of sanctification sometimes. Um, that, and this isn't to beat you over the head and say, oh, we'll, we'll just try harder. Um, but it's to remind you to look to the promises of God when you get discouraged at your own sanctification. To, to realise from these promises of God, this is not our own private project. You're not left on your own to work on your own life and be more like Jesus, so get out there on your own and just try harder. No, this, this is God's project. It's His temple. We are His building. You know, Ephesians 2 says that we are His workmanship, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand that we might work in, walk in them. You know, the New Testament describes us, the church, not, not, the, not the church building, us, the people of God, as His temple. And we are indwelt with His Spirit. So God lives in us. We are always in His presence and He is shaping and transforming our lives. And then sometimes it may feel like these promises are coming up empty. You know, I, I don't feel like a glorious temple or... Sometimes my, my spiritual walk does look more like the pile of rubble rather than the impressive temple structure. You know, sometimes the, we're promised the joy of fellowship and we don't always experience that joy. We're, we're promised the indwelling spirit, but sometimes it doesn't feel like God's spirit is guiding us every step of the way in all our decision making. You know, it's looking like that newly built temple and, and, and we're th looking at it thinking, this, this isn't what I expected at all. But, but this passage reminds us that God is the builder. It doesn't remove our responsibility to work out our salvation, but it's a wonderful, wonderful promise to know that He is the one who is at work in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our rubble. He can and He will bring something glorious. He reminds Israel that despite how things look at the moment in front of them, be patient, it will come. I am at work. And so it's a, a powerful reminder that God is at work in our lives. But it's all, it's all well and good to just say, well, be patient. You know, even though we're not seeing the promises fulfilled yet, they will someday. But how do we know? How can we be confident in His promises? And that's the, the third point there is that we need to look to the past and see God's prior fulfillment to give us confidence. So I, I mentioned right at the start of the, the, the services the, the people who, who broke their promises and then the, the relationships with those people are destroyed when they've broken promises too many times. But, but conversely, I think that the, the, the opposite is true that those who continually keep their promises, that should strengthen our relationship and strengthen our trust in them when we see them over and over keeping promises. And, and so that's what Haggai does here. Uh, when, when they're looking at the rubble in front of them, he points them straight back to the promises that God made. In verse 4 and 5, he says, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. So God was faithful and he kept his promises back then as he brought them out of Egypt. And so he's saying, why would things be any different today? He kept his promises back then and... 
And, and that's what I'm saying as a part of my sermon is, is why would things be any different today if he kept his promises to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt and then he kept his promises again to the people in Haggai's time and then he kept his promises when he fulfilled them in Jesus in the New Testament time and then we come along and go, well, but I'm not sure if he still keeps his promises today. But no, God's character doesn't change. He keeps his promises over and over again. And so he points us back to a time of God's faithfulness but not only to a time of God's faithfulness, it's, it's a very specific time that he points back to. He brought them out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness when he made the covenant. So, so what was happening at the time when, when Moses was up on Sinai, receiving the covenant, receiving the law, and Israel, Israel had been saved, they're in the wilderness, what were they doing at that time when Moses was up on the law? Anyone? What's that? Idolatry, yeah, build, building a golden calf is the... A, a great, yeah, a, a, or a terrible moment of idolatry. And that's the moment when God was making a covenant with Israel. You know, just to, to highlight that God's faithfulness does not depend on, on Israel's faithfulness. He establishes His covenant with them in the midst of their idolatry and He pours out His grace on them. And, and Israel probably needed that reminder uh, of God's faithfulness because it, it must have been horrible to be Israel, coming back from exile, knowing that your whole nation has committed idolatry again to the point in which God sends you away to other nations scattered around in exile for 70 years and then you come crawling back, like you know, almost like a cheating spouse coming back home, confessing their sins, expecting it to all be over and then they're reminded of God's covenant faithfulness that even in the midst of their sin, God remains faithful again and He will still keep His promises. Even, even when they got back, they still failed to build the temple, but God is merciful by sending Haggai along to remind them to go and rebuke them and tell them to rebuild the temple. But it must have been so easy you know, to respond to that and think, you know what, this time we've gone too far. We, we are past the point of no return. There's no way God can fix this mess. You know, yeah, sure, building a calf or idolatry, but, but now we've just been destroyed, sent away, come back to Israel and we still didn't build a temple, it's all over this time. I think we, we still are capable of having those thoughts even today. You know, thinking, yes, God, God may have forgiven other sins of mine, but this time, this time I've gone too far, you know, surely His mercy runs out at this point. Or, or maybe, maybe it's not a new sin, maybe it's the same thing over and over. You go okay, at some point his patience has got to run out. This time, his patience will run out. But we see from his promises that God still remains faithful to us. He continues to shape us. He continues to use us and he doesn't cast us out. You know, we have, we have those promises in the New Testament. Like in, in, in John 10, uh, 27 says that, you know, no one can pluck us from our Father's hands. In, in Romans 8, it says that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So we can take confidence, not in our own abilities to live the Christian life, to, to become more like Jesus in our own strength, but we look to God who is our strength, our motivation, our driving force, our comfort in our failures, the one who encourages us to keep going, the one who draws us back to himself when we fail. And we trust that He'll keep working in us, just like He kept working in Israel and kept His promises. 
and that's because his character doesn't change. And so Haggai reminded them to look back to God's past faithfulness, and I, I think that's a good application for us, to both in the Scriptures, to, to look back to the Old Testament and see God's faithfulness to Egypt. You know, no matter how many times they sinned over and over, they were stubborn, uh, they, were, they complained a lot, you know, we, we should be able to... That should be an easy passage to, to read ourselves into that text. They were, you know, sinful and stubborn and, and um, prone to wander. But we see God's faithfulness in the midst of that, and we go, well... God's character hasn't changed, and if he was so faithful with Israel, then he can be faithful to us. And even not just in the Old Testament, but even in our own lives, we can look back at the past. I think it's good to remember the times in which God has been faithful to us and go, God's character hasn't changed. You know, times in the past where we've experienced God's presence, and now if we're going through a period where, well, it doesn't feel like that's the case anymore. Maybe I don't feel like his promises still apply, or I don't feel his presence. But we remind ourselves, well, but God was faithful in the past and his character hasn't changed, then it must still be true today. Okay, and then the final point. There we go. Is that we need to see that God not only fulfills, but exceeds His promises, revealing something greater than we could have ever imagined. So it's interesting, God doesn't respond to this dilemma by saying, don't worry, I'll fix things and return everything to its former glory. Everything will be back to normal. He says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Things are going to get so much better. Uh, Basically, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. And don't start singing it, Dad. I was about to. No more 70s rock and roll references. See, things get better and better because this theme of the temple runs throughout the whole Bible. And it's all about humanity dwelling in the presence of God. Which, at at the start, that, that was easy. In the Garden of Eden, there was perfect relationship and fellowship between God and humanity. You know, there was no need for sacrifices or a temple structure or anything like that. But then sin entered the world and severed the relationship between God and humanity. That's why we're born in sin. That's why we need to be made right with God. That's why he established a whole temple system in which blood could be shed, sacrifices could be made to atone for our sins. But all of this stuff in the Old Testament, the, the sacrifices, the lampstand, the showbread, the curtain, the high priest, all these things which I, w- I won't go into, the whole reason for all of them is that they point towards Jesus, their ultimate fulfillment. And Jesus is the fulfillment, not, not just of, of the Old Testament or Old Testament prophecies, but specifically the temple system. When the Son of God came to earth and dwelt among us. You know, in, in, at the start of John, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us is he tabernacled among us. It is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the te- temple system. Because people, when they stood with Jesus, they were standing in the presence of God. But he didn't just fulfill that system by coming to earth, but he actually made a way for us to come into God's presence. Fulfill the sacrificial system, because, you know, all, all those, those sacrifices that Israel were offering, that never took away our sins. It never made us right with God until Jesus came and took the punishment for our sins on the cross. 
that's how you can come into the presence of God. You can't come into God's presence in your own strength. You need a saviour. You need someone to take away your sins. And Jesus did that by dying for your sins. And, and, and when he died, you know, you've re read that before in, in the Gospels where the, the curtain was torn in two. That, that was, that's a symbol of us having access into the presence of God. There's no longer that barrier. There's things preventing us from coming to God in prayer. But when Jesus died for us, the, the, the curtain was torn in two. And right now, here in this room, you can come into God's presence. You can pray to Him. You can ask Him for forgiveness. All because He died for you and rose again. As the Old Testament people were saved by trusting that, that someday their temple system would have some kind of fulfilment to it. Whereas we, we just get things so much better in the New Covenant that we don't just trust that someday God will fulfill this somehow, we don't really know how. We actually get to see how God fulfilled it. We see how Jesus fits in with all of it and we trust that what He says is true and we trust in what He's already done for us. But now we're still waiting for future promises that yes, we have been granted access into His presence, we have been forgiven. You know, I feel like the, the infomercial salesman saying, but wait, there's more, um, but without it being steak knives, something a little bit better than steak knives, you know, eternal salvation, restoration of the whole you know, earth, new heaven and new earth. God will dwell with His people face to face for all eternity. And it'll be, Eden will be restored, but with all of God's people. God will dwell fully and perfectly with His people. And so, so Israel looked around them, looked at the rubble of this half-built temple, saw the chaos and they were called to trust that God had bigger and better plans. And so likewise, we need to trust God's promises for the future. When, when you look at the, the world around us, you know, the, the wars and diseases and everything, you know, everything in our society, we, we get... Um, down about that, we worry about the future, we worry about the state of the world or worry about our own spiritual life and our sanctification and where it's heading. But we remind ourselves of God's promises and we need to trust God's promises for the future. So, so if you're discouraged that your sanctification is going slower than you'd like, will you look to God's Word and remind yourself that God is the author and finisher of our faith? That He who began a good work will finish it. You know, when, when you feel like you've gone too far and that maybe you're beyond forgiveness, God can't forgive you this time. Well, we remind ourselves of God's promises that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We will remind ourselves of His promises that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there are dozens of verses I could have picked on that topic, but, you know, when God feels distant, you know, our own feelings tell, tell us that God's presence isn't with us we remind ourselves of His promises, that He will be with us to the end of the age. When we get discouraged looking at the state of the world, we remind ourselves that God is building His kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He will create a new heaven and new earth. You know, a place where God will dwell with His people, will come into His presence perfectly and eternally, the perfect fulfilment of this whole temple system. That's the great goal that God is working towards today, right now. 
you know, from, from, from this moment in Haggai and from right today, God is working to build towards that glorious end. And so he calls you to be strong, to work, to fear not, and work in building this kingdom, to not, not fear knowing that God will fulfill his promises. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God who fulfills your promises. Lord, and we thank you that we have hope for the future in all the ways in which they are yet to be fulfilled. We have great confidence in you because you have been so faithful in the past. Lord, and we thank you that we have these promises that you are continuing to work in us today. But Lord, help us. Help us to trust in you more. Help us to find our confidence in you. Help us to find our hope for the future in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.